This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Gets to minus 15, I might think about putting long pants on. Well, I have a big bulky sweater. And now on the news hour, mild winter no longer. The Arctic air arriving on the south coast and just how cold it'll get. Plus. And a gram of fentanyl is just enough to send you off to jail, right? That's about to change. A preview of the province's plan to decriminalize personal drug possession this week. And. For a lot of guys, patios are the difference between being profitable and unprofitable. Can they stay or must they go? The push by private businesses to make their patios permanent. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. The mild month weather-wise so many of us have enjoyed is over. An Arctic air mass is descending on the south coast, bringing with it abnormally cold temperatures that for some may not just be uncomfortable, but dangerous. Travis Prasad has our top story. In Fort Langley, the sidewalks are lively. People out for a Sunday stroll and for the most part, not bothered by the chill in the air. Gets to minus 15, I might think about putting long pants on, but yeah, this is, this is fine. I like it. I was surprised when my car told me it was four degrees and there might be ice, so I didn't think it was that cold. Well, I have a big bulky sweater, so it's all good. I'm from the north, so I'm used to it. But it's an entirely different experience for the homeless. Discarded emergency blankets in a wooded area near Fraser Highway and the Langley Bypass, evidence of a blustery, frigid night. It was really, really cold. Even if the temperature wasn't that low, the wind just made it cut right through your clothes. St. Andrew's Anglican Church doubling as an extreme weather shelter over the weekend. Blankets, mats, some cleaning supplies and some food and things. This is all the sort of supplies we keep here at the church. The Lookout Housing Society provides enough space for 15 people to get a warm sleep inside the church. The Fraser Valley, along with much of the province, is dealing with an Arctic chill. We're seeing temperatures 5 and 10 degrees below the average for this time of the year. Overnight tonight, chilly. Areas into the Fraser Valley, the wind chill feeling like minus 10. Temperatures aren't expected to bounce back to the seasonal average until Wednesday. Andrew Halliday says the need for more shelter space and housing is growing. We're noticing many more people around. We have a, a sort of a pathway across a bridge behind the church, and there's always people that sleep on the bridge and under the bridge, and there just seems to be way more doing that right now. A precarious position for vulnerable people unable to escape the elements. Travis Prasad, Global News. The second of two Nelson police officers who died this month after getting caught in an avalanche near Nelson will be laid to rest tomorrow. The private celebration of life for 28-year-old Constable Mathieu Nolay will be held at the local Rod and Gun Club in Nelson and live-streamed on the Nelson Police Department's 
Facebook page. No lay and a fellow officer, 43-year-old Wade Tittimore, were backcountry skiing near Caslow on January 9th when they were swept up in a slide. Tittimore was found buried two meters below the snowpack. No lay initially survived the avalanche with severe internal injuries and multiple broken ribs and bones. He died in hospital nearly two weeks later in Kelowna. Both No Lay and Tittimore had previously served with Calgary's police service before transferring to Nelson. Now, sadly, those officers are part of a death toll that's higher than usual this year in Western Canada. In less than a month, five people have been killed by avalanches in B.C.'s backcountry. And an unstable snowpack that persists across the province has pushed the risk of deadly slides to the highest in two decades. Jaden Wozni reports. It's so distinct and uh, it's loud, it's thunderous. Sometimes it's a crack. It depends on the size and the magnitude of the avalanche, but it's a... Uh, it's a fearsome sound. The eerie sound of an avalanche, something that David Stark, director of risk management at Yamnuska Mountain Adventure in Canmore, knows all too well. Each year, Stark's team helps teach avalanche safety to roughly 800 backcountry users, but this year he worries the safety training may not be enough. I haven't seen this for a long time, so we're all quite worried about it. We're all paying attention to what's happening with the avalanche conditions and we're being really careful. A blast of cold, dry weather back in November, creating weak, unpredictable layers in the snowpack across western Canada. The snowpack would resemble a, a house being built on a very poor foundation. Um, this type of instability or this type of weakness doesn't go away in a hurry, and so we expect it to be here for the long term. Avalanche season in B.C. off to a deadly start, claiming five lives in less than a month. One avalanche forecaster says this year is comparable to one of the deadliest avalanche seasons to date. Many avalanche professionals have been comparing it to 2003. Um, that was one of the most uh, dangerous years for um, avalanche accidents on record. We had 29 avalanche fatalities that year prompting this message for backcountry enthusiasts. Take an avalanche skills training course so you know how to use that gear um, and get the forecast. Make sure you're looking at um, the uh, public bulletin for the area you're heading out to before you head out so you know what you're getting yourself into for the day. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. It's a message search and rescue organizations across the province have worked tirelessly to instill for decades. Be prepared when heading out into the backcountry. So perhaps it's not surprising a new study circulating on social media that disputes the need for hikers to carry all essential items isn't exactly sitting well with those tasked with doing the rescuing. Grace Key explains. There are about 1,700 search and rescues a year in B.C. Bringing the 10 essentials and gear is advised, but a study calls that into question and rescuers are worried. It was contrary to everything we've seen in our data. Uh, it was completely uh, uh, opposite of what we were seeing. The study is published in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Day hikers were surveyed at a New Hampshire trail. Most common issues? Thirst, hunger, insulation, and minor medical needs, concluding four essentials would be better than ten. But it's like asking uh, someone who's driving a car at the end of the day, did you use your um, seatbelt and airbag? And they said, no, no, so it wasn't necessary. But if you ask someone who was in an accident, 
Whether their seatbelt or airbag was necessary, I think they'd have a different opinion. Extra food and extra water. The four essentials include water, food, a rain jacket, and small medical kit. The remaining six are infrequently used. I've been a, a search manager for 25 years, and, and uh, the number of searches I've done that people were going on a half-hour hike. And, you know, it's, they've been gone for two, three hours. Their families wondered where they went. And they just took uh, the wrong uh, bend on, on a trail that wasn't a trail. And they had virtually nothing with them. The author acknowledges limitations to this study and that the 10 items may prevent a situation from becoming a real emergency. They also recommend carrying a charged cell phone. But in our uh, um, experience, uh, by the time people need uh, assistance, They've kept their phone on all day long. Uh, they've been lost for a couple of hours. It's now dark, and they've got one or two cells left on their battery power. Both agree hikers should tell someone their trip plan, be familiar with the trail, and don't go beyond your level of experience. Grace Key, Global News. A major shift in this province's drug policy, the first of its kind in Canada, comes into effect this week. As of Tuesday, the possession of some hard drugs for personal use will not be considered a crime. The controversial move is billed by advocates as a critical step forward in the toxic drug crisis. But as Kristen Robinson reports, some say more needs to be done to stop people from dying. A gram of fentanyl is just enough to send you off to jail, right? After 20 years of using heroin and now fentanyl, Nick Marin supports decriminalization. It's going to help a lot of people not do so much crime. As of January 31st, adults with two and a half grams or less of opioids, cocaine, meth or MDMA for personal use will no longer be arrested, charged or have their drugs seized in B.C. Instead, the province says they'll be offered information about health services. I have used drugs in the past. VPD especially has been better than some other police agencies. Dealing with the main issue as uh, an illness more so than a crime is what I find the most valuable. We would never um, charge somebody for a small amount of personal use. The VPD already has a de facto policy not to arrest for personal drug possession. Cases where that is the only charge recommended dropped from 10 in 2020 to just three last year. The department says it will keep its focus on organized crime groups. Our target, our aim, our goals are to go after people that um, produce uh, drugs that fuel the overdose crisis. It's killing a lot of people. Close to 11,000 British Columbians have lost their lives to toxic drugs since the public health emergency was declared in April 2016. I myself have lost two children to the fentanyl crisis. And if they had a choice of going to the street or going to a doctor to get a safe supply, I think they would have chose the safe supply. Experts say decriminalization needs to be accompanied by better access to a legal pharmaceutical-grade supply. We want a variety of options available for everyone to reduce overdose deaths, and there needs to be a, a further expansion of harm reduction services and treatment services. There's not like a door or a number to call to go to treatment right now, like what's going to be different on Tuesday. <laughs> While Marin says he's in the process of getting help. It's been over 20 years now, so I've had enough. Others say treatment is not always available when they need it. When I want to get clean, I want to get now. Like I don't want to wait a week or two weeks because I changed my mind, right? Kristen Robinson, Global News.
Some tense moments in downtown Vancouver last night when a fast-moving fire broke out inside a parkade. <laughs> Flames and smoke poured out of the parkade entrance near Howe and Nelson Streets just before 6 o'clock last night. The nine-story building above it was quickly evacuated. Fire crews say the flames first broke out in a dumpster. While some cars may have been casualties, the good news is no people were injured. Both transit police and Vancouver police are trying to track down whoever intentionally tossed a metal fence post at two vehicles in as many days. The first incident happened on Friday evening. Transit police responding to reports of an item thrown at a bus window while it was in motion on King Edward Avenue. The bus driver was able to pull over safely and determined a metal fence post was thrown at the windshield. Vancouver police also attended another call under similar circumstances involving another vehicle. So far, no suspect has been identified. Coming up, a long and winding return home, generations in the making. It's coming back and it's a beginning and um, we're happy. The repatriation of a totem pole that could set the precedent for other First Nations across the province. Plus, totally. I used to change my kids' diapers, literally. <laughs> Last call at a legendary local watering hole. It is closing time at the Delta Lion Pub. The nostalgia, the memories, and the stories some might want to forget. That's coming up. Stay with us. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Repatriation plans are in the works to return a sacred totem pole to its rightful home on the province's central coast. The return is generations in the making. A century ago, the pole was taken from Newhawk territory near Bellacoola and ended up in the Royal BC Museum. Julie Nolan has more on the meaning behind the move. Taken from this beautiful land and its people more than 100 years ago, this totem pole has been in the Royal BC Museum after it was acquired for the collection on the third floor. It's coming back and it's a beginning and um, we're happy. We have many people that are happy. Uh, even the other nations are are jumping on board now. Decades of battles, even a lawsuit was filed to return it home to the Nexelk First Nation at South Bentinck. Museum officials say it was purchased in 1913 for $45. But hereditary chiefs believe it was stolen because such a sacred and important object would never have been sold. I identified them as being from my grandfather, uh, Dick Snow, because that was his style of... Um, carving and his style of paint, uh, being that they were uh, the traditionally made 
paint that he used. He did not use commercially bought paint. This totem pole tells the story of the life of Louis Snow, the great-grandfather of these two hereditary chiefs, and marked his grave when he passed. To me, it means that we have an opportunity to support nations in reconnecting with lost heritage. Two years ago, the Royal BC Museum announced plans to decolonize exhibits through an extensive consultation process. It's not the museum's choice as an institution to determine what the best decision is for Indigenous culture. The repatriation is paving the way for about 30 other First Nations in BC to follow suit. Right now, as it sits, we have one on the rise, one anticipated for next year and the others communities are building up their own uh, plans and preparing for discussions. A ceremony on February 13th at the museum with First Nations members and family will be the first step of returning the totem pole to its rightful place followed by a special blessing. Hereditary chiefs say its arrival is a long time coming and some healing over its absence for so many decades can finally begin. Julie Nolan Global News. Meantime, the province is returning 20,000 hectares of land to a First Nation in northern BC. Lake Babine Nation near Burns Lake recently signed the land transfer agreement with the province. It follows up on one of the terms initially laid out in a foundation agreement signed by the two parties in the federal government in 2020. The nation says it plans to use much of the land for economic development and forestry purposes. Its chief says he wants to see more parcels returned moving forward. It's a show of commitment uh, of many more lands to come thereafter because Lake Babine has just over 1 million hectares of land within our traditional territory. And, you know, this is uh, just the first step towards um, getting more lands back. B.C. Indigenous Relations Minister Murray Rankin calls the agreement, quote, a significant step toward the implementation of Lake Babine Nation's Aboriginal title. Lunar New Year celebrations continue on Vancouver Island this weekend, where the Lion Dance Parade returned to Victoria's, Victoria's Chinatown today for the first time since 2020. After a two-year pandemic hiatus, hundreds of people turned out to see the lions make their way through Canada's oldest Chinatown. The parade began on Fiskard Street, with the lions taking two different routes through the historic neighbourhood, visiting merchants to help bring good luck for the Lunar New Year. The event is celebrating the Year of the Rabbit. This is the first time I see lion dance in Victoria, yeah, after the pandemic, right? Yeah, during the pandemic, well, I, I haven't seen uh, any lion dance, yeah. It's really interesting. It's really nice, yeah. Very similar to my home country in Vietnam. That was pretty great. It was just nice to follow along with the parade. And I think the, the kids enjoyed seeing all the dragons and the, just having the firecrackers. It was great. It was very festive and there are tons of people out there today to show their support. The festivities meant part of Fiskard Street was closed to traffic for eight hours. Coming up, renewed calls for systemic change in Canadian sports. And if we are serious about eradicating abuse, then we have to start treating the sport crisis as a human rights crisis it is. The push to protect athletes from predators reaches the Prime Minister. How a local sports scandal has hit the federal stage. Plus, a fond farewell to a force to be reckoned with. 
Hurricane Hazel, one of the country's longest serving unstoppable politicians, has died. A look back at her life and legacy. That's after the break. Today marks the sixth anniversary of a horrific mass shooting inside a mosque in Quebec City. A ceremony took place this evening inside the very mosque prayer room where that rampage happened. This, along with other events across the province, commemorated the tragedy with survivors and supporters gathering in solidarity. A lone gunman walked into the place of worship in 2017, killing six worshippers and wounding several others. The gunman pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. There are growing calls for action and accountability within the Canadian sports landscape tonight. In a new open letter, dozens of scholars say an independent inquiry is needed to look into athlete abuse. As Catherine Urquhart reports, they're also demanding the federal government act on a system they say is enabling the problem. In 2022, former Team Canada and Whitecap soccer coach Bob Berarda was convicted of three counts of sexually assaulting teenage soccer players and handed a sentence of two years less a day. Whistleblower Kira McCormack told a House of Commons committee hearing on abuse in sport that complaints were covered up. Both the Whitecaps and Canada soccer covered up Berarda's October 2008 termination presenting it publicly as a mutual parting of ways which allowed him to go back and coach teenage girls for another 11 years. McCormack called for a judicial inquiry. Now joining her, the group Scholars Against Abuse in Canadian Sport. It's 91 members from 30 Canadian and 17 international institutions have sent an open letter to Prime Minister Trudeau demanding an independent judicial inquiry into the widespread reports of sexual, physical and psychological abuse of athletes throughout the nation's sports system. There needs to be something that digs deeper and looks uh, more at the preventative side of things. McIntosh, Ross and others who signed the letter say they're seeking immediate accountability and meaningful change from Sport Canada and the broader system it governs. This as they push for systemic change in all sports where abuse has been reported, whether it be soccer, hockey or gymnastics. We need to just examine the whole thing from start to finish because in 1989, I mean, we did it over steroids. So if we're going to do it over steroids, surely we can do it over child abuse. Minister of Sport Pascal Saint-Ange has stated her office is taking the issue extremely seriously, noting establishment of Canada's Office of the Sport Integrity Commissioner. But those raising concerns maintain a judicial inquiry is the best way to tackle the problem. And if we are serious about eradicating abuse, then we have to start treating the sport crisis as a human rights crisis it is and implement change to make accountability, transparency, integrity and basic human rights at the heart of our system. A system that survivors say has enabled predators like Bob Berarda to continue targeting and abusing athletes. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Vancouver. The unstoppable Hurricane Hazel has died. The longtime former mayor of Mississauga, Hazel McCallion, was 101 years old. McCallion served as mayor of Mississauga for 36 years, 12 terms, the longest serving mayor in Canadian history. She died at her home in Mississauga early this morning after a brief bout with pancreatic cancer. Tributes honoring the trailblazer for women in politics have been plentiful today, including from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Coming up, the colorful comet coming to the skies near you will tell you when and where. Plus.
and we added about 120 to 140 seats. So do the math on that, and it's about $800,000 worth of revenue. The push by private businesses to make their patios permanent. Why they could be in jeopardy still. That's after the break. During the height of the pandemic, patios were a lifeline for some bars and restaurants, helping to keep those businesses financially afloat. Now the city of Vancouver is debating if they should become a permanent fixture on private property. Kamal Kramali explains. But we're looking to add about 40 seats outside. It's a pandemic patio expansion that's bumped up Kelly Gordon's customer base and his bottom line. In the summertime, a patio seat's worth about $6,000 a seat. So adding 40 seats added about a quarter million dollars of sales. Romer's Burger Bar in South Vancouver increased its patio space during the pandemic when rules only allowed for outdoor dining. It was a costly operation, but now it's paying off. For a lot of guys, patios are the difference between being profitable and unprofitable. Many businesses now looking to follow in those steps, making their temporary patios permanent. You probably pick up 30 to 40 percent increased sales because when you have a patio versus if you don't have a patio. The city of Vancouver will hold a public debate next month. It wants to know if people are on board with the idea of keeping these pop-up patios specifically on private property. It's for those businesses who previously were only allowed to operate with inside the footprint of their building um, and not to have um, some chairs outside. So think of small um, retail, some restaurants, neighborhoods, grocery stores. The temporary expedited patio program introduced in 2020 in response to indoor dining restrictions. By 2021, it saw 700 patios approved throughout the city, both on public and private land. The city already approved making pop-up patios on public property permanent back in September. Now a debate on those that sit on private property. Not all of the patios themselves are accessible. The patio expansion has already caused accessibility issues. Disability advocates don't want the city to repeat the same mistake. People who have chronic fatigue or who have chronic illness and pain, wheelchair users, turning around is asking them to do a lot. So it's in wholesomely not inclusive. The city says accessibility is a requirement for permit approval. The public hearing will take place February 14th. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, get your binoculars ready. A rare green-colored comet not seen in 50,000 years is coming our way. Astronomers say it might be possible to view it with the naked eye as well. The last time this type of comet graced our skies was when Neanderthals walked the Earth. The best bet for viewing is to go to any location outside without light pollution for the next two weeks. It's moving across the sky, like I said, quite quickly. So around Valentine's Day, it'll be in a different part of the sky near Mars. Uh, the planet Mars is also up right now. So if you, it's one of the brighter objects in the sky right now and it's orangey. And it'll be near there come around Valentine's Day. So between now and then, all good times to take a look. 
We'll be watching. Those skies are looking pretty clear and cold today. Yvonne Shell is here with a look at our full forecast, Yvonne. Yeah, it'll be easy to keep our eyes on the skies. It is going to be clear, but very chilly. We still have that cold Arctic air that's entrenched right across the province that'll continue in towards our Monday. And then a bit of a reprieve is on the way, and we're actually seeing the return for some wet weather and the potential for some snow. Heads up, though, these are the current temperatures that we're seeing. We're seeing into the minus double digits for much of the central interior. It is going to dip down for us, even down to minus 6 for most areas along the south coast of Metro Vancouver will need to bundle up heading out for work and school for the early morning hours. It'll be a brighter start and then come the afternoon we do have an increase in cloud cover. Temperatures on the cool side tomorrow just getting up to one. The average for this time of the year sits closer to seven. A few other spots overnight tonight we'll see the minus double digits. This will take us in towards the morning hours and then this ridge of high pressure that's been in place will start to weaken. It'll likely be Tuesday a bit unsettled and then milder air will start to push in by our Wednesday. We are going to track a weather maker that'll target the north and central coast as early as tomorrow. Areas along the island or the northern half of the province rather, we are going to see the potential for some wet snow mixed with rain and then along the south coast that weather maker is going to start to push in. It'll likely be late tomorrow night. We could see some flurries. It'll still be chilly and taking us in towards our Tuesday morning some wet flurries and then changing over to chance for some showers. Heads up by Wednesday the weather maker moving in though. It'll be mild enough. We'll be tracking periods of rain and heavy at times. So the northern half of the province that's where we're seeing that wet snowfall inland with the potential for some flurries the northeastern corners of the province still very chilly Fort Nelson overnight tonight down to minus 17 and the southern interior We'll still see the potential for a few isolated flurries picking up towards the afternoon. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we are going to see a nice clear and bright start to the morning. Whistler overnight tonight, minus 13 along the island. The northern tip could see some wet flurries in the mix for the early morning hours, and it's really an increase in cloud cover through the day tomorrow. We'll see that right across the lower mainland. Tonight, very chilly though for the Fraser Valley. Wind chill will feel like minus 10. Bundle up, but we do have a bright one through the day. Then we've got that increase in cloud cover, a bit unsettled for Tuesday with a few wet flurries. And then back to that rainfall, milder temperatures will be on Wednesday with highs up to 6. Sarah? Okay, bundle up, that's for sure. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We'll see you soon. It is the end of an era and last call at the Delta Lion Pub, an institution for so many, for so many years. After 46 years in operation in North Delta, the legendary watering hole will be pouring its last pint at the end of the month. No surprise, the pub has been packed for the past couple of weeks with patrons looking to pour one out for their favorite neighborhood pub and all the nostalgia it holds. I used to change my kids' diapers, literally. Yeah. It's sad, you don't have somewhere to just walk in the neighborhood, yeah. which is nice. And you, you come and everybody knows everybody. And, yeah. Again, like the memories and stuff like that, so it's, it, it hurts, it hurts. But um, this area will like, always belong to us. You know? It's the end of an era. End of an era. For sure. Yeah, lots of Last memories. call is no fun no matter where. Yeah. Especially <laughs> at a good pub like that. <laughs> hey, very good to see you. Yeah, I, I think the, it's probably pretty full right now. Maybe watching oh, uh, football because it's been uh, it's a, a championship Sunday, NFC championship, AFC championship. The Bengals and Chiefs are still going at it late in the fourth quarter tied. That's been a great game. First <laughs> one, uh, not so close. It was all Eagles, 49ers uh, injuries killing them. And Connor Bedard, we seem to talk about him all the time, had another hat trick today, and we'll show you another spectacular goal from him. Come on. Okay, up. that sounds like par for the course for Connor Bedard. Pretty much every yeah. day at the <laughs> office. Makes it look yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks, you two. We'll see you soon. Coming up, the onerous ordeal of rebuilding the town of Lytton. Plus.
essentially the premise of it is a place where men can come together, build things together and lean on each other. Giving a whole new meaning to Shop Talk, the safe space for men to build on both their mental health and their handiwork. We'll take you there. That's after the break. It's been about 18 months since fire tore through Lytton, relentlessly destroying almost everything in its path. And a year and a half later, the recovery and rebuilding process is crawling. An update now from CFJC News. Everything that's pre-built is going to be brand new. Empty lots and piles of rubble line Fraser Street in the village of Lytton. A year and a half after Lytton was destroyed in a devastating wildfire and only a handful of residents are back living in town. Archaeology is going on um, alongside soil testing, soil removal, alongside uh, debris removal. So yeah, it's still happening. And as you can see, there's no rebuilding has started at all. Most of the debris has been cleared and preparation work has started, but the village is still a long way away from being rebuilt. And the people really being impacted by this are, are those locally electeds and, and those residents that haven't had the supports uh, by the provincial government. If they had, we would not be talking about this two years down the road with very little rebuild actually having taken place. I think as we speak, um, uh, they're pressurizing the, the water pipes and checking the sewer lines. Um, I don't believe they were uh, affected terribly by the fire, um, but those things need to be in place before rebuilding starts. Following the fire, federal government officials promised $77 million to rebuild Lytton as a net zero fire resilient community. However, the check hasn't arrived and O'Connor says that's not realistic. We certainly heard that right, right after the fire and, and in the months following how you know, Lytton was going to become a model community, a net zero community, a, a place for the world to look to. And, and I know I was one who was um, strongly opposed to that message saying, you know, why aren't we looking after the people? Our insurance policies, of course, don't cover that. Some residents have already had building plans approved, but there's still no definitive date for when the village will be ready for construction. Most recently, we've heard possibly maybe late spring, which, you know, April. And with many insurance companies imposing a two-year rebuild deadline, the clock is ticking. Best case scenario, everything ready in March. <laughs> uh, and as far as coming back, the best case would be everybody return. Um, but sadly, I don't believe that's going to happen. Sydney Chisholm, CFJC News. We'll build it and they will come. That's the case for a community group in Prince George that blends both practical skills with social ones. It's called the PG Men's Shed, one of 28 sheds of its kind across the province. The group is made up of members of varying ages and skill levels when it comes to building and power tools. They meet on weekends to socialize and support each other and catch up on their projects. So the men's shed was originally um, uh, created in Australia in the 90s and essentially the premise of it is a place where men can come together, build things together and lean on each other. And essentially the premise is supporting men doing projects. The group in Prince George was started just over a year ago. So far it has about 20 regular members. Coming up, Barry's back with all things football plus a long and painful wait. Almost over take our dogs for a walk and just simple things like that, you know, you got to stand up in the kitchen and reach the top cupboard. A local musician's battle to get back on stage, the long-awaited surgery decades in the making, finally 
within reach. That's coming up after sports. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Help kids in our community. One in three Canadian children are at risk of going to school hungry. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for hashtag Toonies for Tummies, benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Visit globalnews.ca slash Toonies for Tummies for info. Don't miss the Vancouver International Boat Show. Enjoy informative seminars and DIY sessions from industry experts. Browse the newest boat models from top brands and more. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day is on February 22nd. Get your pink shirt merchandise now at London Drugs. Welcome back. Okay, Barry came running into the studio just during that commercial yeah. break, which means there's a very good game going on. Yeah, it's very tight. I hate <laughs> I to leave it, but I'm going to entertain okay. you for the next <laughs> few minutes. Thanks, Sarah. The uh, San Francisco 49ers run to the NFC Championship has been amazing when you consider they were on their third starting quarterback after season-ending injuries to Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. But that third stringer, rookie Brock Purdy, was perfect as a starter. 6-0 and entering today's NFC Championship in Philadelphia. But the football gods got something against the Niners QBs this year because Purdy, too, would suffer an injury that this time was too much for the 49ers to overcome. Eagles did come out with a purpose in this one, 15-1 with Jalen Hurts starting this year. And on the opening possession on fourth down, they go for it. A great catch by Devonta Smith, one-hander diving upon further review, though, that ball hit the ground. He trapped it, but the Eagles got up to the line and ran a quick play, so the Niners did not challenge it, and that was costly because Miles Sanders runs it in for the touchdown, 7-0 Philly in front. Now in the 49ers' first series, Brock Purdy moving the ball, but then disaster hit as he throws. Not only a lost fumble, but Purdy injures his elbow, had to leave the game. So fourth-string quarterback Josh Johnson is in. He's thrown two passes all year. But the Niners' defense played well, and Christian McCaffrey breaks one for 23 yards. Somehow, San Fran is tied 7-7 midway through the first half. But Eagles have time. Drive the field uh, late in the half, and it's Miles Sanders one more time for the touchdown. 14-7 Philadelphia. Still not bad. The Niners within a touchdown. But then Josh Johnson will fumble the snap. Tough position to be in, not having played literally all year. Now in a championship game, Eagles recovered and scored a short touchdown. They led 21-7 at the half. Then if you thought the Niners' QB bad luck was go- uh, done, think again. Johnson hit while he throws, suffers a concussion. He has to leave the game. He did not return. Purdy had to go back in, but he literally couldn't throw, so the Niners were reduced to handoffs, and it obviously did nothing for them. Philadelphia wins it easily, 
31 to 7 and the Eagles are on their way to Super Bowl 57. 49ers just did not have a chance today. In the AFC, Chiefs and Bengals, KC's top two threats not at 100%. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes with a high ankle sprain suffered last week and Travis Kelsey hurt his back in practice Friday, but both were in the lineup. First quarter, it's Mahomes to Kelsey. 16-yard game, so everything looking quite normal for the Chiefs. It led to a field goal. They're up 3-0. Bengals offense cannot get rolling at all. Joe Burrow is sacked. That's the third time in the first quarter he goes down. It's all Chiefs. Chiefs really dominated but only led 6-3 late second quarter until on fourth and one Mahomes will find who else Travis Kelsey bad back and all for the touchdown the dynamic duo strikes again 13-6 Kansas City at the break Bengals rallied to beat the Chiefs last year in the AFC title game trying to do the same today third quarter Burrow to T Higgins for the leaping touchdown grab and we're tied 13-13 now they start going back and forth Mahomes on third Third and 10 fires a dart to Marquez Valdez Scantling, a fantastic throw for a guy with a really bad ankle. Chiefs back on top 2013, but opening play fourth quarter on fourth and six. Bengals go for it and Burrow into double coverage. What a catch by Jamar Chase. That led to the game tying touchdown. They're very late in the fourth quarter right now. It's tied 20 20 between the Chiefs and the Bengals. Australian Open men's final from Melbourne. Novak Djokovic going for a record 10th Aussie championship, taking on Stefanos Tsitsipas, looking for his first ever major. First set, Djokovic got an early break, and he just dominated on his serve. Never faced a break point, and he would run down the drop shot here and cruised 6-3 in that first set. Djokovic has won this tournament the last three times he's played. A 27-match win streak, and even though Pass put up a fight, Djokovic always won the key points. Took the second set in a tie break. Third set, there's another forehand winner. So we go to match point, trading big ground strokes, but Pass will float it long. And that is it. Djokovic wins his record 10th straight or 10th Australian Open. He also reclaims the number one ranking in the world. It's his 22nd Grand Slam title, tying him with Rafa Nadal for most all time. The next major, the French Open in late May. Vancouver Whitecaps head to Palm Springs tomorrow to continue their training camp. They'll be down there for about three weeks and will play five exhibition matches. That should give newly named assistant coach Florian Youngvert time to acclimate to his new role. Youngvert hanging up his playing boots following a 15-year pro career. Sounds like going from a player to a coach is a natural progression for the well-liked cap. You know, when Florian last year was, uh, we were talking about, he was already um, uh, coaching in, on the side with the academy when he was playing last year, so we knew that is the path that he wanted to go. And uh, I, I really like the fact to have uh, another guy who was a player in the league, who knows very well the league, who knows, who knows very well the guy in the, in, the, in the locker room with us. He can give even a fresh perspective sometimes. And uh, at the same time, we're going to help him in uh, his development as a coach. And uh, so I, it was a no-brain when, uh, when we were talking with Axel what to do with Florian to, to bring him on board. All right, Ryan Reynolds, proud owner of Welsh side Wrexham, taking on Sheffield United in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Wrexham is in the fifth division of pro soccer. Sheffield's a rung below Premier League, but so it's a mismatch on paper, but Wrexham is a good squad. Paul Mullen, 
He's their top scorer, scores with just a few minutes to play, and they're up 3-2. Could it be another massive upset for uh, Ryan's team? Well, unfortunately not. Five minutes into stoppage time, John Egan off the corner, so heartbreak for Wrexham. It ends 3-3. In FA Cup, they replay the entire game. This time, it'll be at Sheffield next week. The winner goes on to the final 16. NHL tonight, Washington Capitals and Maple Leafs from Toronto. 1,000th career NHL game for Leafs captain John Tavares, his 413th as a Maple Leaf. The rest were with the Islanders, of course. Second period tied at one, Leafs take the lead, and it's Tavares who, uh, Tavares, rather, who sets up Morgan Riley, the West Van kid, his first goal of the year. 21 assists, but finally a goal. 2-1 Toronto, and then on the three-on-one, William Nylander will knock it in. His team leading 26th, 3-1 Leafs, and then before the end of the second, they get another. Pierre Engvall will snap home his 10th of the year, and the Leafs win it easily, 5-1 over Washington. Connor Bedard continues to dominate today in Regina. How about this goal? Deeks the defender, and then rips it into the top corner. The kid is unstoppable. He's just been on a tear since the World Juniors. He was, of course, on a tear at the World Juniors as well. He completes his fifth hat-trick of the year here on the deflection. Regina, though, blew a 4-1 lead and lost 6-4. Bedard has a 33-game scoring streak. He's got 20 goals in his last nine games in the Western League. That's, that shouldn't happen. No big deal. But it is happening. So good for him. It's fun to watch. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Barry. We'll see you soon. And mm-hmm. more highlights from you tonight as yes. well at 11. Okay, coming up, an inspiring story about a musician determined to get back on stage. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. A career musician and renowned guitar technician is waiting for life-changing surgery decades in the making, which means he can finally return to the stage. Here's Jada Rand with tonight's This is BC. It's been a long wait, but the end is near. Steve Brand will have osseointegration surgery in the spring that will allow him to wear a prosthetic again and regain his mobility. Just take our dogs for a walk and just simple things like that, you know, be able to stand up in the kitchen and reach the top cupboards. His guitar tech work has continued and plenty of new material has been recorded. But it's been a while since he's been hired to play a proper live gig. It's caused some diminished income and it'd be nice to get the surgery and be a contributing member of my family again. Brand lost his leg in a motorcycle crash when he was 19, but never stopped pursuing his love for music. His bands have been booked all over the UK and Europe. He's jammed with big name rock stars, playing alongside members of Guns N' Roses, The Cult, Mr. Big, and Black Label Society. I I rarely get starstruck by the people I get to play with and that sort of thing, I just enjoy it. And his craftsmanship building and fixing guitars has earned him work with acts like Aaron Prichette, Default, and Nickelback. He saved many prize instruments from the scrap heap. To have somebody bring me a, a cherished instrument that perhaps is worn out or damaged in some way and then be able to hand it back to them and see that grin, it's, it's a goosebump moment. Okay, so this is the very first Ibanez guitar I bought back in 1987. From the very first time he ever picked up an instrument to taking the stage and rocking out with his daughter. Steve Brand's musical odyssey has taken an extended break but he's just about ready for the encore. People who have contacted me going, right, you interested in doing a band? I'm like, well, I can't right now. So it'll be nice to actually be able to say, yes, it's gonna be just nice. To- 
just to be able to move way more naturally, be comfortable, and actually focus on the music rather than, can I stand up for half an hour? Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know of a great BC story, be sure to email your ideas to jay at thisisbc.globalnews.ca. Okay, quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go tonight. It's going to be chilly overnight tonight, minus 6, so do bundle up for the early morning hours. We've got a bright start, but more cloud cover will start to roll in. A slight chance for some flurries overnight into Tuesday morning. That's where we could see some wet flurries. And then we're back to what we're used to on Wednesday, periods of rain with temperatures up to 6. Okay, bundle up. And Barry, you have a game to get back to, so that's all right. for us this evening. Chiefs and Bengals. <laughs> Close, <laughs> Thanks for sharing a part of yours with us. We'll see you back here at 11 with sports highlights from that game. Good night. <laughs>